0: Hi everyone, I just wanted to give an introduction to the Meeting House building. So the project that we work for is funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund, who fund a lot of our events, including this one, which we're very grateful for. And the project is about sharing the building's radical history, and radical history in the local area. That's everything, so I'll pass
1: over to Anna and Shade. Okay, thank you everyone for coming. I know obviously right now it's a strange time, so... We appreciate it's you all being here. Yeah, it's loud enough. Sound, you can hear me all right? Yeah, cool. So with our first event, it was uh, the topic was colourism. Mm-hmm. That was at Stour Space in Hackney, Wick. That was incredible because for our first turnout, there were like
0: around... We had like 80 people. Yeah. I feel like my mic's louder. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> just,
2: I'm louder.
1: <laughs> but uh, it was incredible. The topic itself was colourism, so of course it was... At first, people were a little bit uncomfortable, but I felt like it was necessary. We had to go forward with it. And the conversations that we were able to have, it was really nice to have people's personal experience as well as overall everyone conversing about matters that really should be touched base upon. Um, But we always state at the beginning, or I always make sure to state it, that we aren't teachers. Again, for me, I personally come from fashion design and visual art, so my background in no way, shape, way or form comes from history or knowledge of Africa as an entire entity. It just, for me, we both were reading Akala Natives. We always mention this book because that book preempted us feeling the need to make a collection of people coming together to have these conversations because I, we both recognise it can't just be both of us having these conversations, trying to relearn and unlearn Western ideologies and having to try to rediscover our heritage, we felt that there were many people who were going through the same, the same journey. And with that, the book preempted us relearning, especially being second generation Jamaican immigrants in regards to knowing your ancestry. For me, I only figured it out through doing a DNA test because being a second generation Jamaican immigrant, yes, you know you're from Jamaica, but in terms of your African ancestry, you have to actually discover that yourself because of us being placed there but then you ended up finally doing your DNA.
0: I know, I did my DNA test (laughs) a little bit later. (laughs) Like
1: by force,
0: um, and I am 45% Nigerian, I can say proudly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I think it's really important um, to create community as we're going upon this journey of relearning our history. I think all of us kind of have the same situation in terms of Going through the educational system and Black history essentially being erased, um, so it, it, it's going to be a lifelong journey to constantly learn everything that has been hidden from us. Um, so I think it's nice to create a, a communal space where we can share each other's knowledge. And um, although like we've we've got. We've got social distancing. The, the way Black Exchange was initially set out was it was um, a conversation with the audience. Um, so if people want to participate, everyone's welcome to. And it's, it's an open discussion.
1: That's where I feel like because of their placement as to where we are now, we have the stage, you know, everyone's literally locked in placements. Like We don't want anybody to feel like they're not comfortable to just answer ask a question because quite frankly it's about conversation and with conversation that's where you end up learning about somebody else's experience or just learning from one another and I think that's what's essential. But with the title now being Identity and the Arts we thought it was really important to try to focus on something that we personally relate to obviously both working within the arts industry but also identity because that ends up being the foundations as to where we're navigating our our works. Like for instance, my film showing today, but that is very, it's very complex. It's basically just me creating a garment live over a few hours, but I ended up looking through my DNA test, seeing that it had Maasai, Nigeria, Ghana, and then trying to recreate that through a visual garment. But again, the thing that becomes the foundations is identity. And with each film that you'll see you'll see everybody's own interpretation of how they make that into a visual entity so i think it would be interesting to see everyone's final outcome everyone's extremely different but again identity is very really crucial to how we are as artists individually really.
0: yeah i think so because i think within my creative practice i think i've constantly kind of had this question over identity and wanting to understand where I'm from, I think, because from, from my background, um, being of Caribbean descent, but not necessarily having that relationship with the Caribbean, and then also wanting to go further back and knowing um, where I'm from in Africa. And I think it's, it's kind of these, these searching questions that um, kind of permeate my work. Um, so kind of blackness and themes of queerness um, are central to my work. And we've just we've created um, an evening of different filmmakers that we admire their work and all all from from different different perspectives and so we've got an array of different films tonight. So I think we
1: shall should we play the first one? Yeah. Shall we go ahead? Okay. Right. We're gonna sit down and watch it with you guys.
0: So the first one. So we've so the first film is by Akinola Davis. It is mayonnaise corn on the cob and my car so we're really excited that we are joined by akinola this evening It's such a beautiful piece, um, and I know it's normally, it's a part of a performance, so maybe you could talk a little bit about um, the influences and, and collaboration in this
3: piece. Sure. Um, so yes, yeah, normally it's like a collaboration between myself and a group of artists called Carl, whose pictures were right at the end, Brother May, Cobsey, and Mika Levi, and um, I'm kind of like the honorary fourth member. So when, when this happens, we play the video and we just play live music in the space. And we encourage like, the audience to come and participate and join in like the line dance. We try and teach everyone. And then we kind of just, um, we sort of command the space and we write over floors and walls and stuff like that. It's kind of meant to be like a really chaotic ritual, basically. And I guess the references. I'm I'm very obsessed with death, and that, and I'm very obsessed with like ancestral conversation and trying to forge new ways of having ancestral conversation and creating new signs and well, not new, but just impressing upon things that are quite familiar within sort of like the black space and just kind of reappropriating them for, um, yeah, like a different or an intention or something more intentional maybe.
1: Uh, In regards to the casting, is there like a specific because when it was my first time watching the whole thing through from Mm. start to finish today, and I see you've got like children, you've got older women, you've got like, is there specific reasons as to why? Uh, Because I saw there was like a there was like a bond between one of the young girls in the front with one of the older women and then you could see at first she seemed a bit shy but then as she was dancing more with her you saw like a relationship develop just wonder if that was intentional
3: or yeah everything's super intentional i think that um yeah it's really important that like the older generation are sort of archived and archived interacting with the younger generation uh i don't know maybe our generation kind of has this uh, the kind of thing that maybe we've like rediscovered things for the first time. And I always think that it's just, that's because maybe we don't hang out or try and yeah. broker enough dialogue with the older generation. And then equally, I think it's really important to have younger people in, in, in that sort of conversation because yeah. they can sort of see that they're kind of welcome in that space and no subject matter is too grand for us to kind of like engage in Basically.
0: Yeah. I feel like there's a real sense of community that kind of, um, through all of your different pieces. Um, how, how is that important in terms of showing community and, and kind of celebrating cultural identity?
3: Uh, yeah. Um, I think community is central to everything I do or it's, it's kind of more about, uh, you know, like, using my sort of privilege to create space. I just want to create more space for my community. Even the fact that it's like 15 minutes long is contentional because I think like, I think there needs to be more beautiful images of black people having sort of joy for longer periods of time on screen. Um, Whether or not it makes people feel uncomfortable, whether or not it's sexy or whatever, like for me, it's just, just, if I have an opportunity to do that, that's what I'm gonna do Um, and in terms of community, I think that uh, I, I, just, I always think in terms of accountability in sort of making the images that I want to see. I don't, it's going to sound really selfish, but I don't really care if it, it's going to sound very flippant, but in a way, I don't really kind of care if people like my work because I like my work. And I think that I make it for people with that kind of sensitivity of sharing in any of the things i said or seeing in any of the things I sort of see in that sort of work. And I kind of uh, tried to be very unapologetic about that.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's really, uh, that really resonated with me, the having like time on screen for as much time, because like currently with my projects, it's like trying to make a five-minute film that should really be a 25-minute film. Yeah. But um, it's like sometimes they don't actually give us enough space mm. um, to show. Because uh, I think with like black stories, we can't just be limited to like here's your token five minutes mm. or whatnot. Because um, I remember like we actually met quite a while yeah, back. quite a while back. And I remember you said that you initially started funding your projects yourself, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, it was mainly because like no one really cared about the sort of stuff I was going to do if it wasn't sort of like um sensationalist if it wasn't kind of you know sexy or sensationalist. things I'm not from things i don't things not that I don't like that stuff, but it's just not the world I see. It's just not my day to day, it hasn't been my upbringing, and i just I like family, I like community. I like talking to the older generation, I like talking to the younger generation, and I think that I find a lot of value in very sort of like nom- nominal type things, you know, like, you know, you see this sort of like line dance all the time, you go to carnival, candy song comes on, it's like everyone knows it, and it's kind of, it just feels like even if we, we aren't blood, it's like tradition, the song comes on, we all just do it, we fall into rank, and then I think there's something very powerful about seeing like black people move like that of this sort of like subconscious and or intuition thing that like pulls us together and i guess for me that was like what i was trying to showcase because obviously uh, it's it's part of a a live performance and when we when we made it it was to go and show in a, a couple of festivals or whatever and i was like well if i'm going to white european festivals i'm just going to make the blackest thing i can make and just force people to watch it and it's pretty pretty cool because by the end of it like everyone's kind of watching and like what the fuck and then by the end of it like half the room's like dancing with us or half the room's like writing on the floor because like none of these images are like exclusive it's like it's like welcoming um and it's kind of you know it's kind of yeah just what i I like
0: yeah i feel like a lot of your stuff has like an energy to it Mm -hmm. um it's like a When your blood orange videos Mm -hmm. and everybody's dancing and it's it's all very celebratory, Mm -hmm. which I think is like so beautiful. I'm like a huge fan, like obviously I know your entire archive.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's important when you speak about when you mentioned that you had to basically fund it yourself the first time. But I think that's what a lot of black creators have to do because there's not space for us. So you have to make it yourself.
3: Yeah, I just got tired of people telling me what was valuable enough to put on screen. Um, and then uh, and then maybe never really thinking like I could con- call myself an artist, I would always like compromise with other artists until a point where I was like, well, you know if i 'm struggling to convince other artists that this is valuable, and i 'm struggling to com- convince other people to give me money to make something that like I'm, yeah i 'm just going to see what it 's like to do myself, and if it totally bombs, then maybe i 'm in the wrong profession, but equally it's just maybe that kind of selfish or stubbornness that I'm like, I just, I just want to make things that, you know, that maybe are based on my sensitivities and the people around me. Mm-hmm. And then some that will resonate with someone because like black people aren't monolithic. So at the end of the day, like what might be cool to someone else might not be to the other person, but there's a lot of us within that spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, yeah.
1: I think it's just about risk. You just have to take that risk yourself. You can't wait for other people to give it for you.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's like waiting for permission. I do not I grew up in Nigeria and, like, OK, Nigeria is going through a lot right now. But, um, you know, all, all our leaders were black. You know, everyone was kind of... So, so like, coming to school in England, it, it just felt like there was, sort of like, a different conversation asking around permission, maybe that I I just never really kind of saw as like almost necessary or or I tried to engage with and it just felt very like weird that I'm always sort of like asking to do stuff. And I was like, you know, I sort of have agency enough to try and do stuff myself. Um, And just like pull resources and bring people together. I mean, you guys have put this on yourself, so um, it's possible, you know, Um, um, but yeah.
0: I, I think that's it, it's just we're like trying to create our own spaces and mm. like with my work I'm, I'm trying to tell narratives that I don't see mm. so I think it, it's like it's so important and there's stories that people don't know about it's like I really love the piece that you did for the BBC mm. and everybody's in all the period costume and it's mm. like even that just to see black people in period costume obviously there were mm but it's, it's that they've been erased from history yeah. and it's like that you have to rediscover them. Yeah. So like to actually have that visual analogy, mm-hmm. I think is really incredible.
3: I uh, appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's like similarly, it's like, that's why I said this kind of about, a lot of my work in my mind is about like ancestral dialogue. It's like trying to like pay homage, homage to like people that have come before us, people who are like yet to come and people who are like presently here. In some form or another, because I think that you know, like a lot of our histories have been formed by us, but kind of eradicated, and it's difficult to kind of bridge those gaps. As like Nigerian, I don't maybe speak my tribal language, but I I think that like you know, like the image, the visual, the visual image gives us a lot of opportunity to like start to sort of like. Play with sort of like different ideas, provided the intention is like positive and the intention is to really like self affirm and, and the intention is to really like build up. Um, I always sort of like, yeah, try and try and be submissive to that.
1: What well, do you feel like was a purpose for choosing ritual? Because ritual is very prominent throughout the entire film itself.
3: Uh, What is the intention of choosing ritual? I just think everything's up for debate. I think everything's up for challenge. I think all institution, all belief systems are up for challenge because I think prior to any belief system being prevalent, there were other belief systems. So what's to say one's stronger than the other? And often enough, the belief systems that like stay longer often enough are the most violent ones. So I, I think that... In terms of ritual, it's like, I think there's practices that we subconsciously do that kind of, depending on the intention, kind of have like a different sort of meaning. So for me, like this film or any of my films is like, I'm trying to like give a different intention to a particular ritual of like what you're seeing. It might not be, the execution might not be like fully there, but it's still like my practice that I'm trying to develop basically. But yeah.
0: We were, we were having this conversation earlier because I was thinking a lot about like magical realism mm. and I feel like it's, it's kind of interesting. I think you've got a beautiful way of, of your narratives are non-linear mm. but there's still an element of narrative in there. Is, mm. is this quite a deliberate... Uh,
3: yeah, I, w- I would say it's, I, th- I think everything's deliberate. I always like approach any project like it might be the last project I ever make. So, I try and put like my heart and soul into it, um in terms of magical realism, it's like yeah, it's once again, it's like trying to have subconscious and intuitional like conversations. I say a lot like in my bio that a lot of my a lot of the work comes from memory, like lived and like present memory, so I'm just kind of you know writing dreams down in some- in some situations or just like kind of things might just come relatively spontaneous or it might be like something I've read somewhere that like, you know, like paints a sort of image in my mind. And then I think, yeah, I think in terms, in terms of magical rea- realism, I think that a lot of storytelling predominantly, at least like Yoruba storytelling is like oral. so. And also within those stories, there's never like really boundaries between like dreams or memories or like relationships with like, sort of like the animal kingdom. Like there's always just like, you know, there's a lot of like fables and parables and like beautiful stories where like we all sort of live in harmony and and interact together. So I don't try and the more I get into storytelling, I'm not trying to like separate those worlds. I'm kind of trying to bring them together.
1: How do you feel being in Nigeria has influenced your work in comparison?
3: Uh, I mean, I, it's, I don't know, because I've only ever been Nigerian, yeah, but... Like being in
1: London and seeing
3: the... Oh, yeah. Course. So, okay, maybe on a simpler level, it's like I grew up in Nigeria, then came to school here, and then I'm, I'm kind of in that middle area where I, I'm not necessarily like English through and through, like whatever that means, and I'm not... <laughs> Yeah, um, and in Nigeria, I'm not like Nigerian through and through because I live over here. So there's like, you're kind of in, in a way like displaced with both of your communities. And then I feel like there's a lot of us in that kind of alien middle ground. And actually that alien middle ground allows us to sort of like mine a lot of meaning and interpretation to like, decide our own, but I always think like at the crux of that should be like looking back and looking forward because even if you sort of, even if you think you're rediscovering new ideas, there's people who've like done that before. So it's just trying to have those, trying to find those people or trying to bridge a lot of those gaps and reference them to sort of have a conversation. But yeah, also, I think Nigerians, like everyone's like 0.0% Nigerian, basically. 45% of. Uh, my uh, heritage, I was, I was
1: crazy. <laughs> but then it was what, Maasai, Ghana, it's yeah. mental.
3: Even the white people, you guys are 0.0% Nigerians. <laughs> 100%, yeah. 100%, yeah. definitely. What was the next question
1: you Ritual masses of people.
2: Um.
0: Are you working on? Can you tell us about anything you're doing next? I saw your, your new film Lizards, which was amazing. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so you're moving more into like, narrative based stuff now.
3: Yeah. Um, thank you, first of all. Uh, I think I've. Yeah. Uh, I think. Yeah. It's like the thing about storytelling. I think, like, being Nigerian, I think there's a lot of us that are like, just storytellers. It's kind of like embedded in our dna and i think peop- most people are writers even if they don't believe it because like writing is one of the things that comes first and even if you believe you tell stories more visually like you know you learn to write first anyway whether you're dyslexic or not like it, it's just how you sort of like learn to express yourself as a starting point but um yeah m- more so i'm trying i'm moving more into like narrative stuff i've been really lucky that um, people have seen my stuff and it's kind of resonated and now I'm able to try and do stuff like this in a more like sort of like structured not structured way, but in in, in a different medium. Um, because I think that there's just, I was just watching that at the back and I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to say up there because there's just so much I was trying to put into that. like you know, just so many things, um, so many conversations with hair and makeup and and just even like Joy Maiesi's like illustrations on the ground. Oh, it was her stuff. Yeah. I it. Yeah, and then like mixing like different formats and I was like, Jesus, like, there's just so much stuff in there. But I think with like filmmaking in terms of a narrative form, it, it gives, it's kind of more accessible and I think that There's one thing, even though that film is probably like quite niche, I think something I've always been quite obsessed with is like speaking to like a broad range of people. And I think sort of like narrative does that. And yeah, I have a film that's currently part of uh, London Film Festival. Uh, It's free to watch on the BFI player for a couple more days. And then I'm working on a sci-fi anthology, a black sci-fi anthology with like a whole bunch of other like brilliant sort of like black filmmakers with film four. Oh wow. That
0: Short sounds film. amazing.
3: Yeah. yeah it's going to be fun.
0: Oh, exciting. <laughs> when can we expect that?
3: I have no idea. <laughs> it's still st- in the making. It's still, yeah, we, we've made, it, we've shot it and we've like picture locked, but there's like, it could be anything from like a month to like two months. Cause things are a lot slower in Mm -hmm. narrative. Yeah. How
1: do you feel when you're doing it independently versus doing it for a production and you have like an entire corporation to work for, what's the, (laughs) how do you feel doing both of them in comparison?
3: I feel a lot like there's a lot more anxiety, but I feel like the fact I've done a lot on my own and paid for stuff on my own, is like, you know, you, you, can't sort of like hoodwink me. I've kind of like I've done it. I know how much things cost and I know how things work. So I'm kind of I feel a little bit more empowered to be in that space and not just kind of um, yeah, just kind of there at someone's like whatever. It's like I think that the the process of doing things on your own is so like terrifying that you learn like so much. I think
1: it's terrifying.
3: I think it's like yeah, man, right. if you're spending the money you could be using to pay a rent to make like a 15 okay. minute, Excluding <laughs> that, excluding that. They're like, like, you know, like 20 people are going to see, you're like, was mm,
0: that a good investment? Uh, well, no, we normally have a bigger turnout. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, <weird laughs> I wasn't. No, I wasn't,
3: I wasn't speaking specifically uh, about hair, but just like, because the thing is that when I, so like when I made stuff, I was like, I don't know who's going to watch it, you know, but... That's why that thing, that's why maybe, you know, and I don't mean to sound flippant, but I kind of realized after a while, I was like, well, you know, whether or not people watch it, that's what you wanted to do. Like, that's what you wanted to make. It's not necessarily about the fact that, like, thousands of people might watch it. I mean, that would be great, but it's like I'm so... I just noticed in myself that I'm so, like, dedicated to doing this. Like, whether anyone saw it, I'm happy to spend, like, all my money on it. Um, So, like, actually doing it with other people's money, it's it's terrifying in a different way because like now, before you're kind of like, oh, I'm just gonna do this for myself. And when someone gives you money, you're like, oh my God, is this actually any good, you know? Because when you're doing it for yourself, you're the only gauge as to whether you think it's good, even though you're the only one that might really care. But when you're doing it with like, you know, like public funded money or whatever, you're like, you know, yeah, you have a bit of a responsibility to like, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm one of those like annoying people that like, I can't separate my politics from the way I try and live my life. So I'm like, oh, I need to be, like, super accountable in every decision I make, which is, like, really hard to do. But um, at least having made something, I can, like, push those conversations a little easier. Well, not easier, but I'm more comfortable having those conversations.
0: I think it's, it's, it's hard but important to be able to kind of set those examples in terms of, like, the way you want to work just because the industry doesn't necessarily adhere to those rules, like, if if this is morally important to you, this is how you'd like to conduct yourself. So I think that can sometimes be quite hard to navigate, especially when it is, like, with when you have clients mm. and you have people to appease, essentially.
3: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think that, like, yeah, I just think it's, I just think we have it within us. And I know it might sound really privileged, but I just think that, like, you know, our come from a sort of background where like you make the most out of like nothing so actually when you when you're so used to that not that I I not that I want to continually do that but it's like I'm so used to like that as like muscle memory of just being like oh okay like this is what we have but we'll share it and it'll go as far as it can go and like and then you apply that process to like filmmaking or like making art or whatever, and you're like, well, that, that is just what it is. I don't want to feel, ever feel like like I'm my, what I'm making, even though I don't have the means to do it, is not good enough with someone who has resources from a different community. Yeah, I just... It's about not like, trying to compare yourself. Exactly. That's what it
1: comes down to. Because when you said terrifying, for me, every single thing I've done, I'm mm. self-funded. Mm. I think this is the first thing we've done collaborative where we actually have funding. Mm. But this concept of terrifying, it was intriguing, because for me, if I'm going to do something, I'm the one who has to take that risk yeah. and you just have to go with it. But like yeah. you said, it's, it's different when you're dealing with an entire corporation. You have expectations you have to meet. It's no longer as, though it's authentic to your idea, yeah. your ideologies, you do have to tick some people's boxes to uh, some degree.
3: 100%. And maybe the, the thing on that is like, once you've self-funded yeah. something and, and determined like your own voice, then the people who end up want to work with you want to work with you because of that voice then you know at least i've found that like people aren't coming to me to do like something else it's like you've seen how weird my stuff is it's not it's not not going to be weird basically or not going to be like you know like trying to do something that makes people feel uncomfortable in a way or at least trying to make myself feel uncomfortable and if Within that conversation, it kind of breaks down. Then, like you know, that relationship was never going to work out, type of thing. Exactly. But, but I also think that's the value in like self-funding if you can, because I know it's not really possible for everyone. But if you have an opportunity to like say, like this is my voice, this is what I want to make, then you know, I kind of I believe in energy a lot. So I think that you know, you put something out into the world, and then it, it takes a while to sort of like marinate, and then you know, like maybe maybe the right person will see it, or it will get to the right person
0: yeah, yeah. So it's kind of it's that having ownerships over our own narratives, which I think is like super super important, yeah. and I think that's why like it's it's amazing that we have directors like you, but it's like it's, we want to see more <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, I want to make more, it's, yeah for sure, but also that's why like you know it's it's really uh, important to have my work shown in spaces like this because I think that I want predominantly my work to be seen by people in my community. And I think that, you know, sometimes if you get to a stage, some people from, black like people from our community don't really, sh- might not be, have the opportunity to keep showing work in the community because it's kind of like cherry picked and put in a different environment. But as much as possible, I think it's really important to like, hear your opinion and just like, meet people and just like, how, hear their responses to what's going on. Because I think that kind of, enables you know like stubborn people like me to stay really grounded basically yeah and
0: and for the next generation to like be inspired especially Um, because
1: like with gallery spaces i was speaking to my little cousin a while ago about going to the tate and she herself said she didn't feel comfortable going there because Mm. of how artists establishments are set up and Mm. even in terms of the interior it's quite intimidating Mm. if you're not from that world Mm. so i think being able to actually access and have a space where your community can actually see it it's important, definitely, especially for the younger generation. Yeah. You
3: know? So thank you thank for you. having me.
1: <laughs> thank
0: you so much. Cool. So um, our next film on the lineup tonight is In Praise of Still Boys, um, and then we have two other films playing straight on. Um, and then straight following that, we've got Arcanides by Papa Kwesi, and then we have your film, my film, yeah, almost forgot that one, The Muse by myself. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, so we're joined by Carl, um, who goes by you go by so, your uh, yes, director I, name. I
4: indeed. Uh, so it's my director name. So it's um, Papa Kwesi, is my um, is my day name, my middle name. And I like to use it when making my films. It's, yeah, it's just something that I felt was right. So yeah, there you go. So I did Arachnid, yeah, indeed.
0: So do you wanna talk a little bit about um, your influences and ideas behind, because obviously there's, there's lots of mythology within it.
4: Yeah, so, um, so I, I'm Ganyan by, by heritage. Um, and uh, when I was a kid, I lived out there. I went there when I was 10, and we lived there for three years. And so, yeah, so you get to sort of learn and know about sort of some of the folklore and so on. I mean, it's something that Anansi is quite a well-known internationally um, folklore character from West Africa anyway. But um, it's something that there was something that I, I was thinking to myself, why, how did this come about before coming here? And I was like, well, what was the driving force behind this particular story? And when I was in Ghana, living in Ghana, um, there was this, this uh, TV show called um, By the Fireside. It was basically a lady um, sort of telling these sort of folk stories around a campfire, and it was like a show on TV. And I remember sort of one story about Anansi really sort of resonating, and it sort of stuck. I can't remember what exactly was the, 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 the plot of that story. But I thought, you know what? I want to I tell a story about this character, but not, not him as the focus, because he's a joker and a trickster. But I was like, well, what? Wait... What would it be like if we found out more about someone who he was with and his trickster ways had affected them mm-hmm. um, and focus on her? Who, who is she and what is, how does she deal with him and his ways? I was really intrigued by flipping it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, telling a story that was steeped in, in, in heritage and um, Ghanaian folklore, but at the same time, a quite a universal story of a relationship that hasn't gone well. Um, so yeah.
1: yeah. Um, in comparison to being there and being here, how would you have, in terms of um, castings, did it was it really important for you to, for it to be filmed there or?
4: Oh yeah, hundred percent. It couldn't have, I couldn't have. I wouldn't have wanted to film it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But I also actually wrote it when I was there. So okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I. Um, I went back to Ga- last year, Ghana had this thing called the Year of Return. You yeah,
1: missed it.
4: <laughs> so I, I was fortunate enough to go. Okay, how was it? Oh, it was the next level, phenomenal, yeah. mind blowing. So j- just to rewind, so you know how I said that I, I was, I'm a bit older now, but when I, when I left Ghana I was 13 and I hadn't been back ever since. Okay. Yeah. Why? <laughs> because, <laughs> so when I, went, when I originally went, it. It, it, you know, when you're 10, you don't get a choice in these things. Um, I look back and it was, you know, the best thing that's ever happened to me. But at the time when I was a kid, I was like, mm, I'm not sure if I wanna be here right now. I wanna go back to my McDonald's and, and Games Master and stuff and, you know, just standard London stuff. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's been, it's been, as I've been getting older and older, first I was like, well, I wanna travel the world a bit more. I don't necessarily, I've lived there, so I don't need to go back. But the older you get, the more you're more intrigued by who you are,
1: knowing about
0: your past, We're, knowing is about your
4: past. Right. And is the thing is, I almost felt like, well, I already know who I am. I already know where I'm from. I've, I live it on a reg. You know, I don't need to be. I don't need to go back to re-find it. Mm. But then something as the, the older I've gotten and the more, the closer I've wanted to get to actually being truthful with my storytelling, mm. the more it felt essential that I told those stories in Ghana, in West Africa, and about the diaspora and w- what that life is mm-hmm. and all its facets. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of, so it was, it was, I wanted to go back for a few years, work and life get in the way. And then finally last year was the year where I was like, look, do you know what? I've got a, it was another whole, another completely another, different script that I got written, tried to get funding for, was taking too long. Bit like Akino, what Akinoli was saying, it was great hearing him because I was resonating with a lot of what you were saying about just doing it yourself, you know? And I thought I just, like, I just need to just go get this done. So went out there, wreckied the location for this other film, while I was out there, I just felt like, "You know what? there's something else I want to tell here." And sat and wrote it, talked to my producer out there, recast it. And, and we shot it um, literally within like a, a couple of nights and stuff. It was yeah, it was it was a it was an experience. But um, for like anyone who's you guys both done, done it and stuff, and filmmaking can be intense. But th- we made it. We made it quite a fun experience. It was it was quite a fun experience to be fair. Um, So yeah, it was essential to make it out there. It wouldn't have been made anywhere else.
1: And I think you made a good point about as you get older and with evolution, it's really important to know about where you're from, but Mm -hmm. then at the same time, as much as we're relearning that history, you are making history just by simply being present and trying to create your own legacy.
4: Absolutely. And I felt that it was, I feel like me live, me going there and having this kind of um, built in knowledge when you know you're so impressionable as a kid, and so living there, going to school there, um, and again something that Akinola mentioned about when he came back, he came to England and going to school, it was fascinating to me coming back to school. So I was 10 when I left, 13 when I came back, and that's secondary, primary school, to secondary school, mm-hmm. and year nine. And you know, if anyone who knows kids about year nine, is the, is the, the mad year. Yeah. And I, I was like, <laughs> what? How is this kid talking back to the to that teacher in this way? What? Because, you know, all gone. I, was getting the, I was getting the cane. <laughs> and that's not even exaggerating. Yeah, you, this is back in the day. But, yeah, you would get caned for that sort of thing. I was like,
2: mm-hmm. oh, my God.
4: I mean, this is, again, like I say, back in the day, they stopped all that stuff now. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, schools were sc- strict. Or have they not? I no, don't know. In Jamaica. In oh, Jamaica, wow. that's still happening. They're still going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. So um, so maybe they haven't stopped. I could have sworn I've heard that, no, they've eased up on it. But maybe mm-hmm. they haven't. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anyway, so I was amazed by the lack of discipline and all that stuff. But my point is is that um, my appreciation for, for what the difference between life is, like over there and over here, um, the, the fact that we have this interlinked tie from, like, you know, the, the idea of being British and, and the fact that Britain ex- only exists because of its empire, and its empire is interlinked with going to India, going to Africa, and so on, and everything else around that, And you know, whether it's slavery and everything else, and it's just—it's so interwoven. And I'm intrigued by and driven by telling history in all its in all its facets. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, whether it's in a folk tale, just retelling that story and putting a spin on it. And if someone watches that and's like, oh, well, Nancy, I've heard of that, da da da, and it's like, oh, that's an interesting character, and it's it just is telling that narrative, but in a different way, and just kind of making it sort of common, commonplace is what I'm keen by.
0: I wonder because obviously you had a, a ch- your relationship with Ghana was from being a child, mm-hmm. so do you think that's kind of influenced your in interest in like folklore and kind of having that childlike interest
4: yeah 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 big time yeah like I was saying so you know it's um you know being a, being a kid being out there and stuff and it, like I say the, the folklore side of things in fact the other the other idea that I'm working on is again a come of a, that's more of a coming of age so it's more directly linked to that kind of experience um and so yeah I think that it's a an area that I'm super keen to explore a bit more as well. Yeah, without a doubt, I think um, because when you're young, you're you're there's so many interesting stories to explore. You know, because there is. You know, as I mentioned, using using childhood and stuff, even though it's not in that film, but using childhood is like you say is a good tool to talk about sort of learning about yourself. But as I mentioned, we're all still learning. Yeah, of
2: course,
4: we're all still learning, and I think that. Um, yeah, if, if the more that we are open to that idea of, of, of self-discovery and I mean, self-love, we, you know, it's, it, it's essential, really. So, so, yeah, and my filmmaking is part of that, yeah, I like to think. Will Try you be
0: doing to. your next project um, back home as well?
4: So, depending on how things work out, um, there are a handful of potential things, avenues I could go next. I mean, I, I would love to do a... a either a, a feature version of that, really exploring these characters, who they are, they've lived these these years again and again, so having a real interesting sort of social commentary without hammering on one's head about, OK, so they've... Because there was a lot that I wanted to put in that short. I wanted to talk about, like, um, you know, the, the fact that Anansi in this human body can't get work and why is that and everything else. I was intrigued by exploring that. Lots of stuff that I couldn't really put in You actual. say you
1: want to. Why didn't you? Limited? Time? Um, yeah. It, it became a bit...
4: I wanted to keep it quite tight and simplified. I think that if I started ex- putting too much into it, it might have been... I didn't want to o- overcrowd it, overflood it. But you know what? Maybe there was a version of it that I could have done that. But either way, I think in a, in a feature version, or maybe even potentially a series, um, that could be done for sure. Um, yeah.
1: But in the end, he disappears. Did he die? That was the only thing uh, I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah,
4: so I, 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 like, I don't like to, exactly, to say exactly what happened to him. I, don't, I like okay, to leave I it to interpretation, yeah, as to what you think happened. And then you've
0: got the feature film. Okay. There you go. Oh, Thank
4: you very much. You know it, you know it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, no good stuff. Yeah. Okay. We
1: talk to you about your film, Anna. Indeed. Yes. yes. What was the inspiration behind yours?
0: Um, Well, I'm always, I think I'm making work of being out of being frustrated and wanting to see the people that I would have, would like to see um, center stage. I think like as um, a black queer woman, like I, you don't see that representation. I think like, and especially because when you're talking about the intersectionality of identities, you're, you're either, you either get a queer story and it's it's a white queer story, or you get black stories, and I think to actually um, to actually explore the, the both and like um, I read um, Audre Lorde and like absolutely obsessed with her. I oh, know. <laughs> I'm just like I'm just like a fan girl for everybody. <laughs> um, but no, because I th- I think it's it's really important, and also to give to give voices like. Um, I started out uh, my creative practice within photography and as much as I love photography, there's only so much that you can say with an image. And I think it's so important to be able to tell our narratives. And like what Akinola was saying about archiving, like there may not be an archive that is easily accessible of black queer stories, but if I'm a black queer filmmaker, I'm going to try to collate those stories. Um I yeah, it's it's about um making work that you would like to see and and I I I know it's hard because you say the word representation. It's a word that gets thrown out so much and it al- almost in a sense that it loses its value. But it is important to be seen and I think, I think when you are navigating um, with being black and being queer um, and you're, you're trying to imagine a future, but if you've never seen anybody who has had this future before or it's like I think like there's the, the couple, the model um, who got married and it's the, I remember it was the first time this year that I'd seen a photograph of a black queer couple getting married in my life. Yeah, so I think it's just like we can't just be hidden and sidelined and if I have an opportunity to make something I'll I'll make it but at the same time like when we go back to talking about budgets and and self-funding like yeah like i i made that for channel four and i was given a five minute time slot but i interviewed everybody for like half an hour to an hour so i had so much stuff i would have liked to have put in it and it's like when there's rarely an opportunity to tell these kind of stories it feels kind of disheartening to only be able to take like sound bites of people's stories um But like for me, I'm just I'm just at the beginning of my filmmaking journey. So I'm hoping that Mm. I with time, I will be able to tell people stories like, you know, but I think but it's crazy because at the same time still so many people are still still happy that they're seeing some form of representation at the same time. But it's like, you know, I'd like more like yeah more money (laughs) less problems
4: (laughs) um do you feel like almost like um a kind of responsibility that you almost have to tell the tell that sort of story and stuff is it or is it more like a no because i want to see that so i want to make it um
0: i guess it's probably a bit of both um because i think like Uh, for me personally I think if I had any skill set of any sort I would want to try and use it in a positive way Um, and I guess I guess I think people um, are drawn towards social causes or things that are to do with communities that are relevant to them and that they can relate to Um, I guess um, like blackness and queerness are central within my work. But in terms of my background, um, I, I have less of a connection with my family and my history. So in terms of telling those kind of stories, like I, I almost feel like in awe, and that I would like to have that kind of rich family, cultural heritage to draw back from. But then at the same time, I'm in a kind of uh, a a limbo but it's also interesting because I'm I was I was born in England, so was my mother and like she's mixed race and I think it's interesting because nowadays there's more mixed race people but like for my mum's generation that was like quite it was it was a more of a rarity. Um, so I guess with each generation, you're like learning more and I think now it's more accessible to try and dig back and like we can do our DNA test and you know, and find out more.
1: In regards to the cast for your film, what was the specifics as to why each person was selected? Um,
0: everybody in the film is an artist, a creative, um, I think it, for me it was important, this kind of self-reflection upon your own identity, but also in how are you channeling that within your work, even if it... it, Because everybody within the film, even if they weren't directly like making work about themselves, they were making work about their community. Um, And um, we've got Olivia, um, who's a poet, um, Laura, who's a director, um, um, Bernice who's a photographer so you've got, uh, you've got lots of different creatives who are all making work that are exploring identity and it's very celebratory so I, th- I think it was nice to have this kind of self, self-reflective moment, I think I'm interested in telling stories about, about people that I can connect with and that I feel like everybody else should be able to connect with
1: and and see their stories but as you said in regards to um channel 4 giving you the the five minutes i know you don't want to get too personal but how do you feel that you can try to navigate your own space and make your own time frames rather than them controlling how you're limited
0: um i i think well, it, it's tricky when it comes to things like funding mm. and whatnot. Um, so it is, I think I'm kind of in a, in a I'm, playing, I'm playing like devil's advocate. I'm like, if there's an opportunity that some money can be available and I can try and put it into a project that I feel is important, I will do that and I'll make the best out of it like you'll give me your lemons and i'll try to make some lemonade <laughs> um, but um yeah and then hope hopefully that can that will lead to you know bigger budgets bigger time slots you know um but I, I think it's like it's it's essentially about if you're trying to create work it's creating within your means if that's the budget that's given to you or if I don't have a budget for a film, I can be working on my photography because that's something I can easily facilitate without big budgets or whatnot. So I think it's just about staying creative. And if it's like, I directed a film via Zoom over lockdown, like, you know, there's, there's ways of doing things if you wanna still make work.
4: Uh, I was gonna ask, is there, as you got sort of such a restricted time, but there's so much content, mm-hmm. is there a director's cut?
0: No, because <laughs> <laughs> we need to, we need time and budget for that. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
0: Fair enough. No, but I've I've still I've still got all of the interviews, and mm. I think it 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 this could be something that. that could be developed. It's like um, similarly, I'm doing another um, Random Acts Black History Month, um, and I'm having a, a similar mm, problem in yeah. terms of uh, wanting to tell multiple stories <laughs> and talking with people who have such rich life experiences and like stories that can't be reduced down in time. Mm. But um, yeah, short form for now, but hopefully we'll move into longer form going forward.
1: I think this is an issue. Whenever it comes to Black History Month, all of a sudden the industry in regards to film and the arts, all of a sudden wants the arts, black artists of work, as if to say throughout the 12 months, you didn't exist. Um, what do you think we can try? <laughs> what do you think we can do to try to change that? Oh, yeah, we should bring Merit. We've got Julian, Julian in the audience. Come on, hello,
0: Julian. <laughs> We've got our, our last filmmaker. If you'd like to come up on stage and join us.
5: Sorry I'm late. Uh,
2: oh
0: yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we here we have Julian um, the director of In Praise of Stillboys. So the questions <laughs> directed
1: to you in regards to what we can do as artists during Black History Month.
5: I didn't say that again, sorry.
1: In regards to the industry seeming to have this idea that during Black History Month then they can approach Black artists. What's your opinion on that?
5: Yeah, um, (laughs) where'd you start? Yeah, Um, yeah, people that didn't care, people that didn't answer your emails, Mm -hmm. um, want to fill in their quota, they reach out. It's a bit annoying because um, I think, so yeah, I did this interview the other day for a big magazine that I'd never thought would ever ask me to do anything. And they were like, what do you think about Black Lives Matter? And I was just like, um, you're actually asking your me mom. what do I think about <laughs> oh, wow. if my life matters. How did you answer that? That Exactly. That was what I, was <laughs> 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 I was like, you're actually asking me if my life matters. Um, and, like, it's bizarre that we live in a world where um, we have to say these things that we matter. Um, and, I, and I find that, just find everything just... It's just stupid, isn't it? Like, the whole thing doesn't even make sense. Um, So, yeah, even the Black History Month doesn't make sense. And I was saying this to a friend the other day, that, like, when um, we have Black History Month, we often talk about how um, white people gave us freedom. Um, So then the conversation then turned back to them. Mm -hmm. Um, This is just long, (laughs) in short.
0: I know, it's, it's a long month, isn't it? We need, like, a rest after, <laughs> after Black History Month. I'm tired of all this free labour.
5: <laughs>
0: um, but um, do you want to talk a little bit about the influences behind um, In Praise of Still Boys, and also in terms of, like, the interplay between um, visuals and language with your poetry?
5: Yeah, so... Um, the. The piece started from me writing a one-man show. um, And I was looking at how I can have a conversation about um, myself via Sierra Leone and um, England. Mm -hmm. Um, So I put this one-man show together that was like mixed media and stuff, and um, yeah, so we had the opportunity to go to Sierra Leone to shoot. like three stuff, and in praise was one of them. Uh, it came about because of the opportunity to have a conversation um, about, you know, someone gives you something, oh, well, you've got this budget, what do you want to do? And I was just like, well, the thing that's been in my heart at the moment is um, this sort of silencing of like, or this hushing of, um, I guess, the things that um, have come before us. And Sierra Leone is one of those small countries that play a big part in, um, in, in global history and the idea of like, how do we create, <laughs> how do we create a, a utopia for black people to go back to? Um, And that was like the conversation. So they named the the capital city Freetown. So it's like, so lazy. It's like, ah, let's figure out this space that we're gonna send all these people back to. And we're just gonna call that place Freetown just like a holding name. And then just send them there to figure stuff out. Um, So the people that were sent there were like um, Nova Scotians, um, the black, they called them the black poor. So they fought for America and they lost, when um, Britain lost the war for independence. They had like tons of black people just like walking around. And you know, as history would say, um, the queen was going down the Thames apparently, and then she was just like, why are there so many black people on the road? Um and they had to figure out where to place them. So Freetown was one of the places where they sent them and like half of them died like there. But anyways, that then, you know, developed into these group of people that were that are in Sierra Leone called the Creos. And that's, um, like my, yeah. Um, so I wanted to have that conversation on, um, you know, blackness and, you know, putting a group of people in a place and having them figure out a new language a new identity, a new name, a new way of life. And this is like, it's not even over a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. And they've just created a whole new identity. Like for me, on one hand, it's a social experiment and on the other hand, it's, it's phenomenal. Like, you know, there's a group of people who just turn up and they go, you know, well, we're going to figure this stuff out and they did and, you know, they're doing their thing. And for me, it's just like, I want to have those conversations. So in Praise is, I guess, the beginning of that unpacking of what does that look like and what it is that my identity holds and how I can begin to have the conversation about Sierra Leone through a global lens rather than telling this sort of African story from like, ah, oh, this is just an African, yeah.
1: But was it your parents who gave you this information in regards to your ancestry? Were you originally given your story or did you have to find it more so independently?
5: <laughs> I had to find it independently. Yeah. Um, so the opening of the film is my mom, um, talking about her giving me birth
2: okay. and
5: I had to, I wanted to, so the producer was like, you have to interpret this to English. And I was just like, I can't because um, the way she gave that information across Mm -hmm. is very intimate. Mm -hmm. And I can't just interpret it to English because then it just sounds really cold. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a lot happening there. Like she was about to have an abortion and like all of this stuff happening. And I'm just like, if I'm gonna, translate this i have to let her like do it. like people have to figure out what she's saying and it's broken english so if you listen intently you kind of get where, where the gist is but i'm saying that to say that um my family is one of those that like they're from that sort of trauma generation where they just have to figure life out Aww. they don't have time You're to figure kinda... it out and <laughs> <planning for laughs> you, you get right? what i saying yeah. They didn't have time to, like, be reading history and all of that stuff. Um, they just had to, like, work mm-hmm. and, you know, make sure I'm here to talk about it, right? Um, so when I, when I was a kid, I was a bit frustrated that they didn't really talk about these things. Because I was interested in, like, history and reading and all of that stuff.
1: But sometimes it's because their own parents haven't spoken to them because yeah. they were doing the same thing.
5: Yeah, exactly. And for me, it was just kind of like, now that I'm, like, on this side of, like, history, I'm like, you know what? I've got the privilege to, to, to find this conversation out. And it was not until an uncle um, I was having a conversation with, and he was just like, why don't you want to talk about Sierra Leone? Why don't you want to talk about yourself? And why are you so fixed about this part of your identity that's, that's not there? Why don't you talk about what's there? Um, and he has this thing where just like your identity is always in flux. It's always changing. It's always um, growing and moving. And the idea, like the idea that you, you don't like your name because it's Julian Knox and it's so white, um, tells you of a place, it tells you of a history um, that's gone. So embrace that and pass that on rather than try to reject that and you can just exit. it. Yeah. Because yeah. my
1: name, my birth name is Shadé Bifu Crouch, but my brand name is Shadé English. Obviously, English is not Jamaican, right? Yeah, but people do ask that question. But for me, as much as that may have been given by a slave owner, if you then reclaim it, then you change the history yeah. and you make your own legacy. Exactly. So your uncle's it's clever.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
5: so, yeah, it's that is just finding out how I can find these things by talking to people and like knowledge back home because I was born in Sierra Leone and I left um, I left Sierra Leone when I was nine because of the war. I moved to gambia lived there for about five years and then came to england um so i came to england quite i was you know i was aware of what was happening um so i'm aware that the way we tell history back home is through word of mouth and um there's power in that in the conversation there's power in in just the way we sit down and you know like when you listen to like your old your grandma just talking about something the cadence you know the the sort of the way she would rock her her back like for those that you know listen to like the way she'd rock, like all of that for me is poetry and and i just feel like you need language in the form of um the way that we've told it that's our sort of archiving Um, even though we do have to do the Western way, just so, you know, they don't erase us as they have no. been. Um, but I, I also want to hold true to that. Like, it's no less valuable the way we, we speak and the way we we have these conversations and the way we don't rehearse them, but we just like flow. Like, that's something else. I was watching Arthur Jafar's uh, piece that he did about like different churches. And it's just like, just amazing how these pastors would just turn up and just, just spit bars. <laughs> like they just like flow and I'm just like, this is phenomenal and no one calls this art. Like, and, and that's the same thing back home. Like,
1: yeah, but it is art because art at the end of the day is expression. It's just yeah. westernized ideas yeah. it has to be put in boxes. You have, you know, abstract expressionism, conceptual, exactly. you know, it, it always is. Exactly,
5: hence why my work, I, I need um, language. Um, to kind of explain the vastness of it. And I find poetry condense what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, like the same issue with you, like you interview tons of people sure. and it's just like, how do I pass this information? Um, so I just use poetry as a form of like condensing it. The urgency to get it out, mm-hmm. but get as much, to pack as much in and then put it out, yeah.
1: So what's next for you what's your next? planned for film?
5: Um, so this film is a trailer. Um, it's, it's actually, the installation is going to be at 180 to the Strand, um, hopefully next spring. Um, it was just this thing where, because I never knew I was going to be an artist, um, I only figured that stuff out like not so long ago. Um, it was, I, I need to put a version of my work in public space so that my younger self could access it and see the possibilities. And also I didn't want to shoot these boys um, and then just lock it away and not having them see it. Mm-hmm. Um, hence why I thought, let me put a trailer. So yeah, what's next is um, the exhibition, uh, it be spring, hopefully COVID and all of that stuff. And then there's another exhibition that, um, it's our group exhibition. At a gallery at um, Sackville Street in Mayfair, that I'm working with other artists. So yeah. What was what, going to ask?
4: What made you realize that art, being an artist was the way forward? What was it that so you said it was quite recent?
5: What was, what was that? What happened there? People called me that. Interesting. <laughs> I, I didn't. How should I yeah, say? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it was difficult to validate myself as an artist. Mm. Um, it always is. It's always yeah. like, you know,
4: you, you're like, okay, so am I, and there's the self-doubt and everything else, and it's like, well, yeah. no, it's there, you know. As do a, you
0: have to wait for somebody else yeah, to that that give validation? you that validation? Yeah. And
1: like, is that concept of the terminology established artist, mm-hmm. what does it mean to be established? At what, po- at what, point, at what point, what have yeah. you done
0: exactly. that you can
5: call yourself? Exactly. No one's let someone put money in my account and go, oh, we're going to pay you for your idea. And I was like, "Raw man's an artist now. <laughs> Man, that, like, it's all about owning it. It's
4: all about owning yeah, it. Yeah, it, it was just kind of like, kinda so, like you
5: know, you're straight. paying me this amount of money. I've never seen this cash in my account before. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool, I'm an artist now. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, beautiful.
4: That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Nah, wonderful. Do you feel like it's important for you to screen the film in Sierra Leone or have you done that already?
5: Oh, because so I shot that in March, and then we came back and it was locked down. Yeah. Mm. Um, and it wasn't meant to come out. I just thought, I just want to put it out. I just want to put something out. Um, but yeah, um, definitely need to go back. And then if I make any money, I need to give these kids, like, something. Mm. Mm. Um, so yeah, 100%, I have to screen it in. One of my, like, life goals is to get Leon to like, the BNR in Venice. So hopefully... Wow. Get some more Sierra Leonean artists out there to do more stuff. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I know you've got, obviously, the um, black boys look blue in the moonlight um, reference yeah. kind of throughout. And, like, I think it's really beautiful to see images of just, like, when the boys are, like, lying on the beach, and it's just relaxed. And it's, like, it almost feels carefree. and it's And I think... I feel like a lot of uh, black image makers and are, are kind of creating lots of like joyful and images like of rest because we're so not used to seeing them. Like, how, how is that important? Like,
5: um, like when I went back, there was a few things happening, right? Like one of the things that happened was that everything I was looking at was beautiful. Um, and I just wanted to shoot everything, like literally. So I was like one of the things, and we, sh- we were shooting a film, so I didn't have like, the DOP was like, bruv. <laughs> <The budget. laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> um, But then the other thing was, uh, it's this thing that Amanda said, and, I, and it resonated so much with me. It's only when I came to England that I realized I was black mm-hmm. and that I have to carry this idea of like struggle or Prove my blackness first in my conversation before I start saying anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So, going back is just kind of like I am going to shoot you guys as you were. Like, I had bare ideas of what I'm going to tell them to do. And I just say, you know what? Let's just see you guys for what you are. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'll just do the observation of, um, like, watching with the lens that I have. Um, and I had to do that because it wasn't a thing where I had to observe them from outside. I was participating mm-hmm. with them, just observing how the light change, um on, on the skin, you know, like there was a scene where I told him to lie down um, just on the, on the floor, just down from the beach. And it was just, it was just the brown, the brown dirt. It wasn't even sand. Because I was lying with them. Up. I was like, can, you, can we lie down like this? Um, and just the closeness to the skin with that was just phenomenal. That was during the day. And then in the evening, when we were shooting and the light was going down and you literally looking at their skin, our skin, um, just reflecting, um, like, the sun or nature. And I was just like, I need to capture that. And, yeah, Moonlight's always been, like, it's one of those films that you watch and, like, a lot of things happening emotionally. It's like minimum dialogue in that film, but my goodness, like the emotions that you get from just watching that. So it's always been this, so the idea of like, black skin look blue on the moonlight, rings true when I was there, I was like, this is so true, let's capture that. And then there's this thing that um, Richard Pryor said, I think he went to Kenya and he was just like, oh, I went to Africa, I'm paraphrasing by the way, and he's like, I went to Africa, it was black, it was blue-black, it was the kind of black that makes you go black. I was like, oh, that's fire. <laughs> that's <okay. laughs> and it's exactly that. You know, going back home was that blue-black conversation, and I wanted to have that. And I think Moonlight obviously had the budget to capture that, what they could. And for me, it was just kind of, let's just hold the camera to light and see what happens to our skin.
1: That's a beautiful film. I look forward to that 180 strand, for sure. So what films do we have coming up well, next? It's, it's just you, darling. Yeah. And the other Chardes, two Chardes. Yeah, two Chardes. And then we'll play her conversing about her film straight mm-hmm. after, because unfortunately she's in America. Yeah. So she's not present to talk about the oh, film. Yeah,
0: the only director who's not present. We've been blessed to have so many of yeah. you guys you for join us Thanks tonight. For, having Thank Thank for having me.
2: brilliant.
1: OK, so we'll play those,
0: two. So we'll
6: just play those. Hey everybody, greetings from Los Angeles. Shade, Clack, and Joseph here. Thank you so much for watching Home. I wish that I was there with you to see it in person. I miss London terribly. I even have my Oyster card. So I just, you know, imagined like I took the tube and came and saw the screening with you all. Um, so thank you again for watching Home. Home started off as a, a short assignment for my grant program they asked us to respond creatively to the question, what is home? And I, you know, after a lot of thought, I didn't know how to respond to that question, but I wasn't compelled to, you know, kind of talk with my elders, the matriarchs and my family. They've been really holding me down through this time and and I've been taking time to learn from them and kind of rediscovered our family's tradition of farming and realized I wanted to feel connected in that way and try it out so farming has changed my life having a garden has changed my life and really kept me sane during this quarantine watching you know kind of this beautiful process of of how things grow and and kind of reconnecting with that and I think me as, as a black person growing up in an urban environment I kind of forgot that, you know, these spaces um, we belong in, these green spaces we belong in and, you know, especially being from the Caribbean, we are really connected to the earth. So um, I hope that home brought you some joy, I hope it brought you some warmth. I hope it encourages you to go and call your mom or your aunties or any of your elders and take time to sit with them and listen to their stories and learn from them and learn your family's history and continue being a good ancestor for the future generations today. So thank you again for having me. Love you all, wish I was there. Thank you for showing your support. Bye. Don't forget to wear your mask.
0: I'm joined with this Sade so we can talk <laughs> um, We can talk a little bit about um, your film um, but also I think like what I really connected with um, Sade Clacken's mm. film Home was this kind of connecting to Jamaica and like which is important to both of us of both being
1: Jamaican. Jamaican. <laughs> I think what's interesting though, when we were children, especially I grew up in Peckham, and this whole thing of being proud to be African, I feel like now is something that, as Jamaican people in my opinion, we're talking about more so. When I was a kid, it was, it was very bizarre, it was like Jamaican versus African. There was this element of segregation rather than togetherness, so I think seeing how, um, how the world is changing and as we're evolving as people, we're coming together more and we're embracing our ancestry and we're doing things such as doing our DNA tests and you know, the whole return to Ghana thing, it's becoming something that we're actually all conversing about. And I think also with how society is set up in regards to things such as the Black Lives Matter movement becoming something that the media wants to now pay attention to. Um, I feel like as people, we're trying to make it apparent that we're learning about our ancestry and our history so being proud to be Jamaican and African is something that is essential.
0: I, I think it, I think it's this, this pride has always been there, but I think it's more, it's becoming more acceptable to vocalize it, yeah. I think, which is, which is interesting, but it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's, and it's important. Um, and that's why we had this lineup of like different filmmakers tonight. Um, because like, we, we need to see like, celebratory, mm-hmm. where we're where looking, where looking back. I think it's always important to look back in terms of to be able to imagine a future.
1: I think, again, about, we keep saying it, it's about learning about your past, know where you're going, but even then, as much as you need to learn about your ancestry and your history, we're making history right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think waiting for society or the Western world to catch up or to make space for us is something that we just have to give up on. Obviously, it's great when you have things such as budget or when you have corporations wanting to fund your projects to lead the way, but at the same time, learning about your history is valid to who you are in terms of your own identity, but at the same time, we are ancestors as we stand. And we can continue on their legacy, but we also need to create our own. And I think through that, I think every director that we've had tonight has definitely created their own lane rather than accepting a lane, jumping on it and following their direction. It's about navigating your own, you know? I think that's what's essential, really.
0: OK, so I'm just going to ask you about your film, <laughs> which was beautiful. I'm your fangirl, too. <laughs> <laughs> um no, um, I think what what was really beautiful is like the element of performance in in creating a garment because you you don't pattern cut, you make your garments like on the mannequin, on the mannequin yeah. um, and kind of how is it important in terms of when you're looking back at your own heritage and history, which you were reflecting mm. and then and then putting that on a live person and, and making it a live performance.
1: I think for me, whenever I did draping on a mannequin, especially when you I was in fashion school, you're always taught there's a certain way into doing things, and I felt very... just con- They were trying to control me as a designer and as an artist, so from then going into draping, that's the original couture way. But then doing it in regards to now learning about my ancestors, such as doing the DNA test, and I was always obsessed, obsessed with Maasai tribe, and that's when I looked into shaku cloth. So with looking at how the draping is with Maasai tribes in Africa, I then wanted to make sure that I would pay homage to that and drape on a live individual rather than the, how, especially with fashion nowadays, even though things are changing when it comes to models, majority of the time they're stick thing, European, women or men, and I wanted to make sure that the subject that I was working on was somebody who reflected my ancestry, especially of colorism as we made on our first topic. is such a personal, personal topic to myself in regards to, especially with Jamaica, in regards to slavery, colorism, it's all a development of racism at the end of the day. So making sure I had somebody who represented my ancestry, as well as looking into draping, through Maasai tribe. It was important to have those two things within it. That's why I got the name Anticon, the Immortal Diaspora, because I feel like your ancestors, regardless of whether they're from your past, they're still directing you and leading you and guiding you in your own way. Hence the terminology immortal.
0: And then in terms of um, other references, in terms of like hair decisions that you made um, that Christiana, you made a hair
1: piece for it, right? it was a bitch because basically it's the women in the Masai tradition usually has like a half shaved hair up until the middle part but with the men it was always constructed so I wanted to put something what was stereotypically for a man on a woman to try to, to fight the conformities of sexuality even then because especially with fashion i feel this concept of femininity or women's wear or men's wear i'd never liked the concept of having to pick or choose, hence the terminology, which is basically just to not conform to suit society and creating that, that merge and looking into history. But then it's filmed in Mandrake, which is the Tottenham Court Road hotel in Mayfair. So having, bringing that African heritage into a space that is in all honesty, predominantly white, upper class people, but having a black, Model a mixed race woman bringing their own ancestry and heritage into it. I liked the the contrast or the juxtapose. That makes any sense? But yeah.
0: um, and then I was going to ask you in terms of like just kind of broadening the conversation in terms of like your creative practice in terms of like moving between different mediums. You don't feel restricted because you you move between between paintings and between wearable arts. And, and film also.
1: I, I think it's because originally, obviously, especially with the educational system, it's as if you can only choose one. Like even when you're doing A-levels, you can only choose three. And then when you go into university, you have to specialise in one thing. And for me, as an individual, I don't like having to conform to something because at the end of the day, expression and art, is, it's basically, that's what it should be, expression. It should be freedom of expression. But even in art school, there's a specific way they expect you to work. If we're doing women's wear, you have to do pattern cutting women's wear. If we're doing men's wear, it's just too many restrictions. And that's why I ended up doing the two year foundation. And then thanks to my mum, I didn't do the BA. And I dropped out and I just decided to do it independently. Um, But with that, when you are independent, as much as you mentioned in the word, it's terrifying for me actually felt um, liberating because I no longer had to deal with being constantly constantly picked and nipped at to be something that I'm not. So working with paintings and then working with photography and then working with film and fashion design, I realised that the limitations were only the educational system. It wasn't actually what I wished to do, which is probably why we connected in regards to doing photography and film. Sometimes people expect you to only specialise in one thing. And I don't think that's natural as an artist. I think the mediums, there's so many that you can explore. And with my work, it's conceptual. It, being Anticlone as a concept itself, it's not something that should then be conformed because then it's contradicting what it means, if that makes any sense.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, in terms of like, we're to- we've been talking about like navigating spaces. Um, and I know that you're creating Anticlone Gallery now. Um, how, how do you feel in terms of moving within different spaces in, and also within different industries within the arts? Because I think each, each kind of industry has its own different nuances
1: and <laughs> challenges, <laughs> challenges, shall we say. Challenges.
2: Um,
1: I think... <sighs> so, for instance, when I, I did fashion design at Lana of fashion working in the fashion industry... My personal experience, I felt like everything's very trend-focused and everything has to be popular as to what's happening now. That whole concept of hype beast is a thing. If it's trending somewhere, then that's when the industry wants to be attached to it. And I don't think that just comes with fashion. I think that's also with art. Even with film, there's a different type of stylized way, such as if you were to look on platforms such as nowness, you would think it was one director because there's a conceptual ideology as to what they want the work to be. But working in fashion, I didn't like it so much. I think, for me, I I don't work with mass-produced clothing, so I didn't find my place. Now, because my work is more avant-garde, it's even more difficult to navigate, because when it comes to fashion designers, the ones that the industry knows of are usually predominantly white men. There's no female black designer that I know of. But yet, when I was a kid and you're going to church, all of my Jamaican aunties and uncles were the ones who were making their clothes to go to church. But as if to say, within the fashion industry, it's only one type of person who can be seen as, you know, leading the way.
0: Um, It's almost as if you have to have a certain educational background or a certain accolades to prove that you are something. When, like, we kind of inherently kind of maybe have these skills, they've been passed out. Because I remember you told me that you found your grandma's passport, right? And she was a dressmaker.
1: And that's the thing. And then my mother, as much as she was a teacher and a head of, yeah, she wanted to do dressmaking. But this whole concept of coming from a Jamaican background and even of African ancestry, you know, if you want to get a job, you should get a degree, you should do a proper job, artist, dressmaker. From my experience and from all of my Jamaican and African friends' experience, doing that as a profession is something that isn't, you know, people aren't jumping for joy when you say you want to be an artist. They're jumping for joy if you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher. So recognizing that I'm quite fortunate enough to be able to independently fund my work and and explore those areas, it's only because of my nan making that sacrifice, then my mum making that sacrifice, because I only found out what, two years ago that my mum wanted to do dressmaking, too. But because of the generational um, like demands of you to aspire to be something that is seen as socially uh, acceptable or socially something to be proud of, they don't necessarily fulfill their true desires because of how society places you.
0: I think so. And then I think also like um, being like from like Descendant of Windrush generation, and that kind of that, that almost that good immigrant m- mentality is that you need to be in a certain job to be socially acceptable and whatnot. I think can be a big struggle, and like you have you have these kind of expectations put upon you that are not necessarily your own.
1: I think this is a thing. It's that whole concept of generational trauma. It's. Don't get me wrong, Like you, you want to make your parents proud, but I feel like you can't continue on that, that domino effect of achieving something to only make your parents proud. Of course you're proud within your achievements, but there's still something that you haven't potentially fulfilled. And for me, I felt like I needed to break that because I, I just feel like for me personally, life is about living and this whole concept of us having to capture things such as black joy and and all these positive visual references, I feel like black joy is simply living. This concept of us even having to say black lives matters is actually a joke, to be honest. So I think if you're living your your true life and you're living your true desires, then that alone is black joy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: I think on that beautiful note, maybe we should open it up to the audience and see if we've got any questions.
1: Does anyone happening any? Don't be shy. Yeah. <laughs> this happened last time at the very end, everyone was asking me questions outside. Yeah. Does anyone have any? No?
2: Hiya.
0: Hiya. Um, I'm Gabby. Nice to have you. I guess I just want to get your perspectives on what you think um, needs to be done in order for us to really take ownership and to have things that you know, reflect us and our story and our experiences, uh, but in a capacity that we are controlling and that we have yeah, that we control the narrative. What do you think like needs to either happen or what progress pr- what progress do you think has been made, if any, so far? I think it's yeah.
7: yeah. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say I think I think it's, it's it's down to us,
0: and it's down to us, like, supporting one another um, and collaborating on each other's projects um, because maybe we are not going to be given the spaces or the finances that we need to, but I think if we believe in each other's work and we are happy to, you know, participate, support in whatever ways, and also just, like, Sharing and showing each other's work. I think like creating spaces where you are showing films or you are showing artwork, um, and that we are not reliant upon gallery spaces um, to say that our work is valid
1: for it to be shown. And I think it's about not trying to only really do things independently. I think we have this idea that uh, we have an idea, we just want to run with it, but having a collection of people, a collective, and people writing together, it's more likely that unfortunately the industry will actually then wake up. Because if they're seeing a group of people doing something, then they see it as business, and then they'll actually then attach onto it so that they can be a part of it, or in their eyes, I think they're the people initiating it but I think working as a community is essential because with every community, or pe- even, I don't hate the terminology immigrants, but with immigrant families who come over, if you look at, for instance, within Indian communities, when they work as a collective, then things end up you know, developing as one. But I think within my personal opinion, within the black community, I feel like the sense of community is very essential, like, for instance, within churches. But I think as a whole, we need to work more together as one so that we can navigate ourselves you know
0: I I think I think also it's it's because of that um, in terms of identity we are connecting purely on the fact of being black rather than of language on culture like there are so many people from different backgrounds with even just within the UK so I, yeah, in terms in terms of making work, it's it's about supporting one another and like, and giving everybody space to tell their stories because I think like, um, our our lived experiences are so varied and one black director cannot tell everybody's stories. We need we need a multitude. And also, I think it's when when you're in positions is to like think about who's coming after you and and making spaces for other people like if you have a project who can you get on board mm. you know
1: yeah, definitely yeah. yeah any other
2: questions
4: that's hey. Hey, uh, Love
2: hey um what's next in terms of like i'm filming for you sorry i um, love the work um, <laughs> what's, what's the next bit of the um, for me, I'll be honest, I
1: don't ever focus on one thing um, and then try to build it that after. For me, I've got so many different projects i am working on. That film is something that is taking a backseat. Um, I've always, this entire film, I've created my first one in 2013. It's, it was originally called Antiquant Under Construction, where I made it then for five hours on a different subject. So the, this is the third series, but this one came from me learning about my ancestry, doing my DNA tests, and then choosing the subject to be different, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But for me now, I'm actually, I had an exhibition called Anticone, the African Diaspora, and the Mortal Diaspora, sorry. And that was in memory of my mother, who passed in February. So for me, now I understand my ancestry and I remember her legacy, it's important for me to now Create other spaces because, as much as I love paintings, I recognize within the arts industry, after my um, experience with, I won't mention the gallery, but basically, <laughs> basically I recognize that um, when people understand the concepts or the story behind your work, they can potentially jump on you as an individual. And it's very easy for you to get lost and, and not read contracts properly or allow creators. For me, I create my own work, I don't allow another creator to create it for me and um, in terms of learning about clienteling and selling your own art and recognising that galleries take 30% or all of these small things, yeah, I know. Um, So me having that experience, I've now decided that I recognise that visual and wearable art are two important things for me. So I intend to actually um, have my own gallery. It won't necessarily be a permanent space but I have a pop-up that was meant to be happening in November, but our auntie Corona wants to come and you know shake things up. So it will be um, on my mum's memorial next year, February 24th. So I intend to do a pop-up exhibition there, but it won't be my own work. It will be um, some paintings from previous exhibits, as well as other artists who fit the Anticon concept, because as much as I made that concept for my work, I recognise that there's so many other artists who are not conforming to suit society. So, rather than creating my own. Again, as we spoke, rather than trying to do things independently, I can now platform other people. And I recognize like, with the legacy that I've got of my mother and having that fortunate backing to be able to have my own space, I don't want to just make a gallery for myself. I actually want to make a gallery that platforms other artists, whether they're black, Asian, mixed, whatever color they are. For me, it's not about having to be um, my own people, but it's about people who actually fit that concept and making that space rather than waiting for a gallery to make the space for me. So that's the next plan.
2: Thank you. <laughs> <That's good. laughs>
1: Any other questions? Don't be shy. Come on. Hi. Right. <laughs> um,
3: when you're navigating the art world, do you feel like people look at you as a a black artist or an artist, first and foremost, who just happens to be black? Are you made to feel
4: that you're black?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Personally, from my experience, I recognize that colorism is real. And unfortunately, because of that, I recognize that if an artist sees me regardless, not an artist, sorry, within the arts industry, people see me, they can see I'm black. I am black. But I'm also Native American and Italian. But I don't, personally, being raised by a Jamaican woman, my mum always told me, yes, you are mixed race, but you were black first. And I feel that, regardless of colorism, I do, I've always identified as a black woman. I don't identify as being all of these other things because I was raised with a Jamaican family and I only met my dad when I was 16. And when I met him, like, uh, I just learned about my Native American ancestry, I'm not trying to understand him, you know? So, um, I think with the arts industry, there are so many incredible black artists that are out there, but simply because of, um, simply because of people's narrow-mindedness, racism, um, ignorance, they may not go with the artist, but because I may look a certain way, I really do now see it, more than ever, that colorism, that you're ticking a box by looking a certain way. And rather than trying to fight that and be angry, I'm not trying to be angry anymore. It's more about taking it, rolling with it, but then making sure that when I create my own exhibition, I will include people who look like my mum, who look like my aunt, rather than trying to tick the box, one of it and do it solo. I'm making sure that I then bring everyone with me, if that makes any sense. So in short, they see me as black, but they also see me as more socially acceptable, and I'm not blind to that because my mother was stopped in shops because they wanted to watch her being a black woman with dreadlocks, but me being lighter skinned, they assumed that I wasn't even related to her. So I saw how being a darker shade can cause a lot of negative, um, negative reactions, but rather than being angry with her, I'm just trying to claim it and just making sure to bring my people with me, if that makes any sense.
0: Um, I think when you were, talki- when you were talking about um, are you seen as black before being an artist, I think, I think often people confuse telling stories with black people in as just being black stories rather than being human stories. Because lots of the times, just because we are telling stories about one specific community if you are telling stories about love or about connection, these, these are hu- human emotions and human stories that everybody should be able to connect with, essentially. Um, my, my entire childhood, I've grown up watching romantic comedies and all of the love stories are all white cast, but I could still connect with those characters and still enjoyed movies. So I, I feel like everybody should be able to connect regardless. It's, it's, just, that, it's just that society essentially is a way of, it's a way of scapegoating people and, and putting people into boxes because I think society very much likes to categorize people and also to put limits on people as well by categorizing them.
1: But I think that's what it comes down to rather than allowing these industries to put you in that box you just have to break through it and make your own Mm -hmm. lane not box in that sense (laughs) yeah any other questions no (laughs) okay
2: everyone's so shy if if you
0: how dare you all come and ask us (laughs) loads of questions (laughs) when we're trying to leave (laughs) (laughs) yeah
4: Uh, what's the next level change
2: Well, I'm I like,
0: sure they love to do everything spontaneous. And I'm always like trying the to plan planner. stuff because I get super anxious if stuff yeah. is not like planned out. Um, but no, we've got um, on the 31st. We've got our our um, final well, for, Black, for Black History Month event. So we'll be continuing the conversation on the arts uh, with some performances um, and talks. Um, and then, and then we're gonna see what um, 2020... Uh, we've got one in December. Oh yeah, because yeah. they yeah.
1: we're, fo- <laughs> <laughs> were focused on the arts. I felt like we both felt like it was really important to not only focus on that one thing. For instance, in terms of industry, so for instance, we might know people who are doctors, lawyers who are black, and I feel like trying to open up the conversation, not just solely on the arts, and introducing people to have those conversations with people who look like them, I think is really important. So we'll be doing something that's more like an industry, I don't want to use that word, black accidents, I know you love that word, but- um, <laughs> Young, gifted, and black. <laughs> but basically, yeah, we'll be doing an, another event in December that's focused on talking to people who we don't have that experience, so we can't speak for them. And then I think come the new year, we'll see what the plans are, because I have my, ex, my gallery happening February, so we need to, I need to wait a bit till after then. them. <laughs> I need to focus on that for now. But December, for sure, there'll be another thing. Is there a question over there? No. <laughs> I <mean, that's> <laughs> Trying to force questions. <laughs> okay, well, oh, sorry, go on. Um, Oops,
7: God, sorry. <laughs> hey, um, thank you so much for sharing your work and creating space. Um, so it really resonated with what you were mentioning before about like, um, the good immigrant narrative and like the pressures that it provides Spike to young black generations in regards to professions and pursuits they take, um, in particular in regards to like the pandemic and recently like that whole Fatima poster thing with like you should train to be cyber um, because going into tech roles are more like fruitful and stuff like that. And like my question is more in regards to like with those social pressures as well as like political and economic, how do you how do you ensure that you can pursue what you want to do um but survive that makes sense yeah <laughs> yeah what do you mean survive yeah.
1: mentally or like That's how you interpret it <sighs> so we re- repeat that but a little bit more context <laughs> sorry my like yeah
7: so, um, would you call it, like, how, so as in, how do you pursue your talent and your desires and being able to decide both mentally, um, physically and emotionally, if that makes sense, question? Yeah, it's very,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, I think for me, I've always felt that touch with everything I wanted to do I've done. Um, it doesn't happen overnight and it takes a lot of time and a lot of sacrifice. And literally, when I was sewing, it was blood, sweat, and tears. But I feel like what it comes down to is self discipline as well as self belief. I think the way society is set up, especially in my personal experience, um, it's, there's always lots of walls that you feel like you might be having to fight through and it's a constant battle of trying to like state that your point matters or your vision is valid. But for me, I I had to leave that behind and just recognize that, like for me, if I could um, convince my mum <laughs> or my Jamaican nan that my plan was going to be successful and it was, society didn't matter anymore. So. I think it's more about having this self-confidence and really trying hard to not allow society to impact you um, mentally and don't get me wrong that's not easy but small things like my mother removed the television from my house when i was in year one so i don't have a tv and i haven't watched tv since just small things such as media and even your surroundings i i try my best and as anna knows i watch majority of these films fully from start to finish today i, I really try my best to um kind of not negatively be in a bubble, but really try to be present with your work and your concepts and your ideas. And if you're looking at work, just be very um, transparent so that you're not unconsciously um, influenced by somebody else's idea rather than your own. And I think because of me having that bubble and um, feeling like I can safely and authentically navigate my way through society. I think that's really important because then I'm able to stay humble and stay solid so that whatever I then create as my output, I know is authentically me. I think it's about making that safety net and having like a, a community of people around you who are also all true to themselves, because I think especially me navigating, working within like fashion and Lund College of Fashion, which is a hell of a different thing. And then the arts industry and creating. I recognize that you can easily get really lost. There's a lot of things within it that is actually quite dark. I won't go into because it it's not that time. But it, it, there are lots of things that can throw you off. And I think having that self-confidence and truly recognizing that you are your legacy over ancestors really does keep you. Um, it keeps you grounded. I think that's what's essential because that way mentally, especially with our community of black community, mental health is a thing, Um, but I was always told like, you know, you're black, you've got to be strong, but the truth of the matter is we're human. And even us having to to keep saying that I think is ridiculous. But quite frankly, we, we feel things. And I think trying to have a community around you that feel it with you, but they support you rather than try to bring you down like society does is super crucial.
0: Yeah, no, I was just, I was just processing awesome. all of your, your <laughs> um, no, I, th- I think for me, like, um, like rest is really important and like having time to research and to read and to get, engage with information and allowing me the time to process it. Because like, I feel like I'm const- I'm constantly trying to learn stuff and engage with new material. And it's like, sometimes you've, you've read something and it takes a while for it to click. And then you realize like, where, like that it has inspired or triggered something that you would like to create from it. Um, So like, I, I like to read like a lot of like black theory and, um, like um like bell hooks or audrey lords um i think for me actually probably language is is quite important um in my work in terms of um engaging um with theories where we're questioning our identity and and then how am i translating that um visually um and in terms of yeah how i stay sane mentally and whatnot you know, just we just do the best that we can, and, <laughs> and just keep moving, and it like yeah. it's, it's like it's it's I think it's it's a journey for a lot of people, um, but it's not something like your mental health that can just be overlooked, and that's why I think as well like rest is important, like where we. We are in, in society, and in the media, we've got an onslaught of information and traumatic images. And then we're trying to process our own internal issues as well as well as try to create through that. So like finding time to rest is important so you can actually be able to do the work, essentially.
1: I think it's sad that a pandemic had to happen for people to rest, though i think that's what's quite the saddest thing i think as negative and as awful as the pandemic has been like this year has been crazy um yeah it's been mad (laughs) so i think i think the fact that a pandemic had to literally stop the world even if you think about how deep that is like we're constantly doing a nine to five job every day to pay our bills people don't even have time to necessarily socialize with their family because they're trying to keep a roof over your head and then a pandemic comes and only then the world stops for you to actually even have a conversation with your sister or your brother or your neighbor, like even things like that. I think what you said about rest is super crucial because especially with society and social media, if, you're, if you get hooked into it, you see people are making posts every other day. So you think that everyone's constantly making work and then you have this idea that you have to try to keep up and it's, it's just not normal as human beings to be doing, to be working constantly. We're not robots, we're human beings. And I think this is something that we need to recognize. It shouldn't have to be a one lockdown, two, three, four, for us to have the time to really reflect on what's important. I think that's the main thing, just taking the time, having a community around you that keeps you mentally stable and spiritually. I think that's really important, for sure. Any more questions? Thanks for coming.